Hey, it's Caitlin. Hey, it's Abigail. Welcome, Welcome to, to The Gutsy, Gutsy Truth. Truth. We believe that change is easier when you are not alone. Through practical advice, personal stories, and expert insights, we offer strategies, empowerment, and a supportive community for you to turn to for guidance and motivation on your journey to living your best life. Let's dive in. Welcome, everybody, to today's episode of The Gutsy Truth. Um, We are very excited for today's guest. We have a dear friend of ours. Her name is Katie Neeson. Um, She is a real estate entrepreneur, an active investor, and a redeveloper in Bryan, Texas, where we are all now recording this podcast from today. Um, Katie and I have known each other a good chunk of our lives. We have um, horse show history together. So those of you know, I'm a horse person. Um, So we're really excited to have Katie on today and just really get to understand um, her world in the real estate world and um, how she got there and what she does. So welcome, Katie. Thank you. I am so excited to be here with you girls. I have enjoyed listening to y'all's podcast. I think it was gutsy that you started one and I think you picked the most amazing name. Good job. (laughs) Thank Thank you. you. (laughs) Thank you. Yeah, it was a lot of fun to come up with it. Um, Yeah, just kind of the perfect embodiment of what we want to talk about. So here we are. Definitely. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about what you do um, in your current role and kind of how you got there. Sure. So I am a full-time real estate investor, and I am passionate about the revitalization of our downtown. Mm -hmm. We primarily build and design funky, cool, mixed-use buildings that have residential lofts on top and retail on the bottom Mm -hmm. in the hopes of getting as many people to live downtown as possible. Now, that's what I do now. (laughs) I grew up in a household with two parents who both were self-employed and hard workers that busted through some barriers and were able to achieve financial success that other people in their family hadn't. But they were both in real estate and real estate is cyclical. So (laughs) what that means is booms and busts. My parents were really good at shielding us kids from that, but it was definitely stressful. So what I took away from that is I don't want to do real estate, Mm -hmm. but I do like the entrepreneurial side or really just the ability to make money in non-conventional ways. Mm -hmm. And so that's what I took away from growing up. Now, I knew I was going to college. I'm the first one to graduate from college in my family. It was never a question that no one had to talk me into it. That was my path. Um, And then when I got to college, I fell into the dogma that they teach you, which is you learn about these really big, amazing businesses, and then they teach you to be a really good employee at one. Mm -hmm. So I did. I graduated from college and I took a job in the corporate world at a national bank doing credit underwriting. Mm -hmm. And I actually, I loved it. I loved that job. I did that for about seven years. We had our son. Um, And then after that, I went to work for two kind of serial entrepreneurs taking care of people with Alzheimer's and dementia. And they were amazing people. And I love that job, too. And then they sold the company. And that's when I said, you know what, this is rekindled by excitement and desire for entrepreneurship. I'm going to ditch the W-2. I'm going to bet on myself. And that's when I became a full time real estate investor. And I've been doing that for the last seven years. 
Oh my gosh. That's so awesome. Um, I've known you through, I'm not thinking about it. I've literally known you through every stage of that, that you just talked about <laughs> um, and before and before. <laughs> yeah. And so, um, that's been so exciting to see. And so I also, um, fun fact, Katie hired me right out of college to work for the Alzheimer's and dementia company. Um, so that was really fun. So at one point she was my boss and we're still friends. So it's good. <laughs> Cause I'm, I'm just such an amazing boss. Oh, yeah. I so myself. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So I, yeah, I remember that moment when the company sold and you're like, yeah, this is totally fine. Cause my mom and I are, we're doing this thing. And I was like, Whoa, I just remember being like, so like kind of mind blown about it. Cause you were just like, yeah, that's no big deal. And so many else, uh, so many other people in that company were just shocked and didn't know what the next, you know, what the future would hold. Um, yeah. so how did you start? Um, so it is you and your mom, right? You're the you're the duo behind Renovation Wranglers. Is it your official company? Yes. So okay. our company is called Renovation Wranglers. Although I feel like every time we do something new, we come up with a new name. But that's mostly what we're known yeah. as the Real Estate Wranglers. It's my mom and I. She's been in real estate for 45 years. Mm-hmm. She's amazing. She's knowledgeable. And um, she's super risk adverse. So it's mm-hmm. a good balance. Yeah. And I convinced her about 13 years ago to follow my harebrained idea and jump into this whole real estate world and mm-hmm. she obliged me. <laughs> <That's awesome. laughs> Thank goodness for moms, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So what was the first thing y'all did together? Like, did you, you know, what was your first investment? Yeah. So the first thing was we bought four plexes out of foreclosure. Mm-hmm. So I had done some research and learned that, you know, For um, low-income housing, you can get the government to pay the rent for the tenants, you know, 10% all the way up to 100%, just depending on their ability to earn. And what I had learned is we, in our market, everyone was receiving less rent than the government was willing to pay. So there was this arbitrage. And now, again, I told you, my mom's been in this for 45 years, and she kept telling me all the reasons why I couldn't charge what the government would allow. Mm -hmm. And so I just kept going back to the office and just kept asking questions. And I was like, no mother, we can do this. (laughs) We will get almost double the rent. Like, let's just try it. Worst case scenario, it still breaks even if we don't. Mm -hmm. Now it's 2010. Lots of things were in foreclosure because we had just gone through the crash of 2008, the great recession. Mm -hmm. And so there was lots of opportunities out there. So we got a fourplex. We chicked it. We chickified it, got it all cute. We got tenants in there and hated it, mm-hmm. totally hated it, hated um, the maintenance of it, the routineness, getting the leases. I hated everything about it. Mm-hmm. The um, entitlement mindset that was stereotypical of the type of residents that we had, but we love fixing them up. Mm-hmm. So we just sold those to investors and we pivoted and we started flipping houses. That's awesome. Um, so what was, what was your first house? Like your first official house you flipped? What year was that? That was 2000 and that's a good question. 2010 was the first fourplex. So probably 2012 ish was yeah. the first house. Cause we did two or three fourplexes yeah. before we realized we hated that and then sold them yeah. and then shifted over into the flipping the houses. Cause we love the design and then we realized we started getting them around downtown. Mm-hmm. So one of our fallback plan is, you know, one of the risks in real estate is that it is cyclical. And what happens if the market changes while you're re, um, while you're renovating it mm-hmm. and either people can't get loans. Like right now, interest rates are really high. People can't get loans. Things don't sell. What are you going to do? Mm-hmm. So our backup plan was always that you were able to rent it in the event that we couldn't sell it and it would still break even. So what that does is it lowers the price of house you can afford. Mm-hmm. You know, I can't get a $500,000 house because 
I can't charge enough rent to be able to cover that mortgage. So it, we ended up gravitating towards downtown. And then the more we did it, the more houses we got down there, the more we loved the character. And then people were just like wanting those types of old houses and the old neighborhoods without the cul-de-sacs and all of that. And yeah. so that's just kind of how the passion grew. That's awesome. And so were you doing that on top of your full-time job or did you just like make the leap and do it? Like you just quit everything and just started this? Yeah, that's a good question. So it kind of goes back to when I left the banking world. So I um, love that job. I love those people, but I worked a lot of hours. Mm -hmm. And how David and I had our first kid was he basically said, I'll quit my job if you just let us have one. <laughs> I wasn't sure if I was going to like like kids, yeah. much less what if I didn't like my own kid. So like I agreed. I was like, fine, but don't let this kid ruin my career path. So we had our son and I ended up like totally loving him mm -hmm. and wanted to spend more time with him. But I was working six days a week. We did lots of entertaining. So it was early morning till late at night. Yeah. And we had just spent when my son was about 15 months old, we had just spent a weekend in West Texas at the Heritage Days Ranch Rodeo and Trade Show. Uh -huh. And we had had a great weekend together. And it was the longest time we had been together as a family. And that was a three-day weekend. Oh, wow. And I just like realized, like almost had a breakdown. Like I am going to miss his whole life mm -hmm. because we, I'm just working too hard. So I'm a goal setter. I always have been. Mm -hmm. I was like, I know something fun that'll keep me awake all the way home. Let's goal set. What are our family's goals for the next one, five and 10 years? <laughs> and my husband who hates a goal reluctantly <laughs> obliged me to keep me awake. And by the end of that, we realized that my career path and our family goals were completely misaligned. Yeah. It was one of those scenarios that I was climbing a ladder that when I got to the top of it, I was going to realize I built a life that I didn't even want. Yeah. And so that was in May. Mm -hmm. By August, so what, three months later, I had quit the job that I loved, mm -hmm. got another job in my hometown, sold our house to a buyer sight unseen, and loaded up all our horses, livestock, tractors, you know, yeah. and then all our personal belongings and hauled it back to our hometown. So it happened so fast, but it was so clear that we knew we had to do that. Mm -hmm. So we came back home and in all that three month mess, I read this book called Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Mm -hmm. Now it's a super famous book, pretty much anyone in real estate has probably read it. But what it changed in my life is it gave me a framework to use because I already connected with all of those ideas, but I didn't know anyone else who could okay. explain it to me. I couldn't figure out how to say it. And so it put this framework in my head, which was basically like every decision you make in life is a risk, a decision or a non-decision. Mm -hmm. And so you can make the decision to have other people pay your paycheck and you can believe that that's safe mm -hmm. or you can realize that's super risky because you really have no control. Just like Abigail, you talked about us being at that company and it yeah. sold. Nobody came and asked us if we wanted to sell. Yeah. <laughs> Nobody came and asked us if we were wanted to stay on or didn't want to stay on. They made all those decisions before right. we even knew about it. And so after reading that book, I thought, you know what? I'm going to see if this real estate thing he talks about even works. So I bought a $17,000 condo 
in a really bad part of town. <laughs> and I even financed it just to see if it could really cash flow. Because for all I knew, this rich dad, poor dad guy was a total fraud and it worked. And yeah. so then on the side, I started just doing a little bit of real estate. We put a kitchen in our horse barn apartment so that we could rent it out and get revenue that way. So I just started kind of toying with different ways to make money. Mm-hmm. And that's really what led us to buying those fourplexes. And I was doing that on the side along with my full-time job at that point. Now, once you start flipping houses, that's basically like a job. So we didn't do that until we went into it full-time because it requires a lot of uh, attention to detail and monitoring of what's going on. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my goodness. I don't think I knew that piece of it. Like as far as like, I knew you left the banking world to go to the, um, the Alzheimer's facility because mm-hmm. just a life change. I always thought it was cause you wanted to move back home. Um, I didn't realize mm-hmm. it was like you had that moment. I, I can relate to that very much. Um, I'm going through that moment of myself <laughs> where, and my daughter's four. So I'm like, mm-hmm. like, thank goodness, you know, you kind of had this eye opening moment when he was 15 months and not 15 <laughs> years old. Yeah. Um, and I'm going through that now because it's just like the, this daily grind of, yeah, like you said, someone else is kind of dictating everything of your life, your mm-hmm. paycheck, your money, and you're putting all this effort in and you're going to be like, wake up one day and be like, what was it? for? What did I get to do with my family? So I resonate with that deeply right now. Cause that's why we kind of started the gutsy truth <laughs> or one yeah. of the many reasons. Cause yeah. it's, you know, to have that financial freedom and that time freedom to do what you want with your life and to really enjoy your life and like, remember, like have meaningful moments with your friends and your family and, and for yourself too. Yeah. 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 I feel like just listening to everything you just told us, like, I was like, wow, that's gutsy. Wow. That's gutsy. Like, <laughs> it's just, it, this is why we had you on the podcast. Cause like, number one, just say that you like, you weren't like, obviously your, your career is our passion. And as women, sometimes we, you know, get judged for wanting to put our career before our families or anything mm-hmm. else. And so number one, that's huge. And something that, you know, um, you, you know, voiced and said, but then you also realized that you wanted to find a balance and be able to do both. Yeah. And it, it seems like you've been very successful in doing that with, cause now this is obviously your full-time job and something that you're just continuing to grow and grow. Yeah. You know, it hasn't been an easy path. The good news is I've always been a weird kid. So being <laughs> judged is something I've just leaned into. Yeah, so it doesn't it. bother me a whole lot, but the reality, I think what holds a lot of people back is they think that being successful is getting the courage to take that one big step they're not willing to take. Mm -hmm. But the reality is it's a lifestyle and it's Mm -hmm. the willingness to take consistent, small steps, always headed in the right direction and not being afraid if you take the wrong step, because you can take a step back, you can pivot, you can turn. I mean, my mom and I, we bought that fourplex. I finally convinced her to do it and then hated it. Yeah. (laughs) So, you know, so we just pivoted and did something else. But I think what keeps people from taking any step is this idea that if they get the step wrong, Mm -hmm. then everything's going to fall apart. And I think that's just the false reality because it's so black and white. When you think about a job, you either have the job or you don't have the job, Mm -hmm. but really there's not a lot in life that's like that. Cause even with the job, but you are looking for a job when you found that job, yeah. Just go find a different job. If you quit your job and you go try something and it fails, go get a different job because it would be way worse to stay in something that you're miserable at and then you don't enjoy, but you're not willing to leave because you're afraid of the unknowns. Mm-hmm. 
So to me, it's way riskier to stay in a job forever that you're miserable at than taking the leap, going, trying something new and failing and everyone being like, told you so. <laughs> like, that's the risk I'm willing. That's the yeah. risk I'm willing to take to yeah. keep from having to do something miserable my whole life. Oh, that's so good. I got <laughs> I chills that when you were saying all that because, yeah, it's just yeah. little steps. It doesn't have to be something drastic. And mm-hmm. just, again, making it a, a lifestyle of you just taking steps every day, every day that are, you know, out of your comfort zone. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So when I took the job back at a bank, so I actually had a bank in between the bank that I worked at for seven years and then going to work for the Alzheimer's. I moved back home and went to work for a startup bank and everything was aligned. That decision was gutsy at the time, probably, but it didn't feel that gutsy because I transitioned into a job doing something very similar at a higher level with amazing salary. Mm-hmm. And then within days of being there, realized that the board, the leadership, and the staff were totally dysfunctional. Mm. Like it was a horrible environment. And I had gone into it with this idea of with a positive attitude and everyone reading the right books, any workplace can be turned around. And it turns out (laughs) super naive. And a lot of people love being miserable. (laughs) And so life is too short to convince people to do something they don't want to do. Mm-hmm. So the the next decision was now what? I'm in a small town where word spread super fast. I couldn't talk about the craziness going on inside the bank. And I couldn't go and tell people I'm looking for a job because the bank would know and I would have zero control over what the next step was. Mm-hmm. And so I stayed in that job for almost a year. But the interesting and kind of nuanced thing that happened is on the way back um, from San Antonio to move to town with all my horses and everything in the trailer, I got a call from a guy I worked with at the bank that I was leaving. And he said, hey, an acquaintance of ours is super ticked at his bank because they just changed the whole deal on him. You should call him and see if y'all can help him. And I was like, but the terms he's mad about would be the terms I would give him. He's like, no, 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 you're missing it. He's mad that they changed the terms. He's not mad about the terms. So I was like, this is a guy I had admired for a long time. He was a serial entrepreneur and he was spooky smart and he was so intimidating. Like he was not an approachable guy and I was scared to death to just approach him and talk to him. And so I really never did. I kind of admired him from a distance. So he was just an acquaintance. And I was like, this is perfect. I'm going to not only get to call this guy, I'm going to get to ask him why his business is successful, which is what I loved about being a banker. You don't have to tiptoe around finances. You just have to go at it head on. And so he ended up being our largest customer of the bank. And I was having lunch with him. He wasn't in my hometown. So I was able to say, hey, I'm looking for a different opportunity. And he was like, you know what? We would love to have you work for us. Now, just go figure out what that job would be. (laughs) Which I thought was kind of like a Chinese no (laughs) or Chinese yes, I guess. It was like, how would I know? I don't know his business. I don't know anything about Alzheimer's care. Like, I don't know. And that song and dance went on. It was an emotional roller coaster for two or three months. But what I had come to realize was that I had always attached the value of a job to the salary that you got. Mm -hmm. And the reality is that's probably the least important part of any reason why you should have a job. Mm -hmm. These were like amazing entrepreneurs. I was like, if I could just be in the room with them, I'm going to learn so much. The problem is 
I didn't know what that was. So it was hard to tie a value to it because I didn't know what would come out of it. I knew I didn't run, want to run an Alzheimer's facility. Yeah. I knew like a lot of things that they did, I wouldn't ever do. But I just had this sense that if I could just be around them, I could learn so much. So when it came down to it, this to me was a way gutsier move. I had to take an 35% pay cut Whoa. to go and work for them. And so then all of your limiting beliefs and imposter syndrome kind of start to creep in. Like, mm-hmm. am I being, am I thinking of my family first or am I only thinking of myself? Mm-hmm. Is th- what if I'm wrong? What if I give up this really good salary and I don't actually learn anything from them? But the reality was like, I just felt it in my bones. Like this, mm-hmm. this is what I needed to do. And I probably would have picked up trash on the side of the road, given the opportunity. And so I took a 35% pay cut and went to work in a job that I created doing something I had never even done before. That's amazing. I think that's the definition of gutsy right there, right? <laughs> <laughs> You're like, I don't know what's going to happen, but my gut says, yes, let's do this. <laughs> that's amazing. Oh my gosh. That's so crazy. Um, you know, like it reminds me, so we had, um, Amy McGee on our podcast and she is obviously a tenant in one of your buildings in our downtown. And so, you know her, but she had this thing when we were like, well, how'd you know when it was time for the next step? And she's like, because I couldn't live with the tension in my body anymore. And so Mm -hmm. she's like, I knew every, my body was telling me it's so wrong. And so I had to do what the next, the I had to change, even though she's like, I didn't know what that change would be or what it would look like or the outcome, but I couldn't like live with the awfulness of like how I felt. And I feel like that's like very relatable to your story and like in, in different aspects of your journey too. It's like, you're like, nope, I don't want this. This is, I can't live like this. And I'm like, I don't know what's next, but here we go. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. so true. And I think everyone has that. Mm-hmm. I, I'm the youngest of three. Mm-hmm. And I'm pretty sure it's unanimous with the family that I'm spoiled rotten. <laughs> and so really, I think it's that sense of selfishness. Mm-hmm. Like some people, including my mother and their generation, like they're super just sacrificial, oh, you know, yeah. like they're willing to bear a lot of pain for the benefit of others, which is super admirable. Mm-hmm. But the reality is like I'm spoiled. And yeah. so even so it's served me well, but it comes with a lot of guilt. Sure. So I guess that's kind of the point is no matter what you decide, you're going to have guilt, whether sure. you decide to stay in your job and you spend less time with your family, whether you try decide to ditch your job and take a 35% pay cut mm-hmm. and not be able to provide as much for your family, you're always going to have that guilt. So I think at the end of the day, like listen to your soul because you can always go back to that miserable draining position that you left but if you never leave it, you'll never be able to see the other side of the coin. Oh, I love that so much. That's so good. That's great life <laughs> advice. Everyone take down pen and paper yeah, and just jot that down. Scribbling away <laughs> right now. Yeah. <laughs> so you, I love this whole journey you've taken us on of like where you've, how you've overcome some things. So what were some of the biggest barriers in your journey of when you, I would say maybe from starting like when you went full time doing what you're doing today Um, what were some of the biggest barriers you had to kind of overcome along that journey as you were learning that life of full-time entrepreneur? Yeah. So there's definitely lots of barriers for one, you know, like we're women in the construction world. Mm. Um, you know, but when I was a commercial banker, I was also the only woman there too. 
And so some people let that really bother them. I use that to motivate me. Like (laughs) one of my favorite sayings is go ahead and underestimate me. That'll be fun. So so I just like to channel that Mm -hmm. and make good out of it rather than letting it bother me. But it's definitely a challenge. Like you, we can tell within 30 seconds if this person actually respects us for mm-hmm. what we're doing or believes that we're dumb and they can teach us something. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, like we just had to maneuver through that and filter through what contractors made sense and what didn't. Um, the other big challenge is like our greatest strengths will always end up being our greatest weaknesses and how we were raised created limiting beliefs, whether we recognize them or not. Mm -hmm. And so some of my limiting beliefs that are also my strengths that tend to be my greatest weaknesses are that if you're, if you don't work hard, you're not like, if it's going to be, it's up to me. Like the, the person who should be doing the most work to predict the best outcome is me. And I can give that off to someone else, but they're going to probably screw it up. I mean, that has been the mantra in my house our whole life. Yeah. And that we work hard. We are fiercely independent. We don't ask for help and we work hard. And as a reward for our hard work, we will get more money, more income, more whatever it is that we're striving to. But the direct result of that is hard work. Mm-hmm. So... These are probably things that lots of people grew up with, but the reality is that that's not even, that's not true. I'm just going to say it like that. Like that is not true. And so if you, maybe you are the best one, or if you put all your attention on something, you will get better results than someone else. But that doesn't mean you shouldn't hire someone else to do it. Mm -hmm. Because if all your attention is on that, you can't grow anything else. Mm. So we decided to be the contractor on our first big commercial building. Um, you know, we hired our previous contractor as a consultant, but we went head first and said, we're going to do it ourselves because we want to understand the numbers. We want to understand the process. And, and, and we did it and it was painful, <laughs> but the reality is our pipeline was completely empty because as long as we were showing up every day to make sure that building got built, we couldn't go and find the next project. Yeah. And so one of the things that we had to overcome was that we need people to help us to get there faster. And so that was a struggle that just recently it's been about, I guess, July was a year that we hired someone who handles all of our construction. And like, it's just hockey stick, the ability for us to grow. But the other one is if you don't work hard, then you're not, you don't deserve the money. So um, that has been such a limiting belief. And if you're not careful, you'll sabotage opportunities because you feel like you don't deserve them Mm -hmm. because you're not working hard enough to get what comes your way. And so it's been really, really hard on me to um, recognize opportunities because sometimes I don't see them as opportunities because it doesn't seem like it's going to require enough work. Uh So just trying to really understand what your limiting beliefs are and seeing them from other people's perspective and who've had success on the other side of the coin so that you can go to the next level because wherever your limiting belief is, you'll never bust through that without recognizing it and removing it. So I feel like just hearing all this, it sounds like you've taken a lot of time to like sit and reflect and think about like what's going on in your head. So do you actively like 
journal or talk to people or like how how do you have that much self-awareness because I think that's that's a talent and a skill that you've developed obviously so walk us through that yeah so probably the biggest moment that that switched was um this is November two years ago exactly when we're recording this it's in November uh COVID was kind of in its I guess, height, depth. I don't know. We were all super lonely and we had lots of time and we were in real estate and the entire market shut down overnight. And I suddenly realized that it could all go away in a heartbeat. And even though I had been wanting to grow and try some different things and do different things, I didn't know how. So I had never done it. And I realized in that moment that I was using that as an excuse not to take action So I decided on a long walk by myself, because like, what else were we going to do in COVID? (laughs) I decided over the next year, I was just going to say yes. When an opportunity presented itself, I was just going to say yes to it. I wasn't going to say, is it selfish? Is it the right thing to do? How am I going to pay for it? How much does it cost? I'm just going to say yes. And in that year, I joined a couple of masterminds. I joined a group called GoBundance, which is high net worth women. I um, went on several trips with high-level real estate investors, and I just started exposing myself to this whole dimension of people that I just had never talked to before. I'd always been the only one I knew who was doing real estate like I was doing that wanted to grow like I wanted to grow. And it was so dumb. Like, there are so many people out there doing it. They weren't in my town, and I didn't do what I needed to to connect with them. So I would say naturally, I'm an introspective person. Mm -hmm. But what that taught me all this time, I thought I just didn't really like people. (laughs) 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 And it turned out I just wasn't around the right people. Like, Mm -hmm. I cannot talk to you about how to cook or recipes or what's on TV or pop culture. I watch zero news. I never know what's going on except for financial news because it impacts real estate. And so I just found myself wanting to connect and be around people and then getting there and going, oh my God, this is so painful until like I found these people. And so now we spend a lot of time thinking about what's going to happen. What could we do different? How were you successful? What didn't work? And once you hit a certain like level of people who are all striving to get better, you kind of get through the superficial and people will tell you the bad stuff too. Cause you know, you're kind of in danger of walking into a networking event and everybody's just cashing checks, baby. What are you doing today? Oh, just cashing checks. Life's good. (laughs) But, um, (laughs) getting around people, uh, that are at your level and that are all have the same goals has really been just eye opening. So yeah, now I spend (laughs) over 35,000 a year doing stuff like this. And it's not something you can justify. I can't say that event earned me this much money and paid for it. I've kind of switched my perspective. And by the way, to put it in perspective, that was as much as the salary of my first job out of college. So I'm spending my entire salary on just getting around high level people. And all I expect from it is to put me in the path of opportunity Mm -hmm. because I don't even know what I'm looking for. I just want to be thrown in the path because that will increase my odds. And if I only go once, it's probably not very likely. But if I continually show up in the path of opportunity, it just significantly increases my odds of something that I don't even know I should be looking for popping up. So that's kind of where I'm living life right now. Oh my gosh, that's amazing. That's like, 
I don't even, there, is there a word gutsier than gutsy? That's, <laughs> that's like so cool. I just love that mindset that you've said. And I think, I think a lot of people, probably especially more women have that mindset of, you know, like you, like you were saying, like you just weren't were looking for it. Cause you're like, Oh, you know, I, it's not going to come. It's not in this town. I, it's, you know, that's for the big wigs or the big city folk or whatever, you know? And you're like, no, it's for anybody and everybody. I mean, like you can travel, you can talk to people. I mean, like the beautiful thing of COVID is, you know, all the virtual stuff now. So you're, mm-hmm. it's easy to connect with people even more so. And yeah, so just that, that mindset of like, I just want to put myself in the path of opportunity, whatever that takes, you know, and just go with it. Um, that is incredible. I really like that. Yeah. That's a really, really good. Yeah. Hi friends. I just want to take a quick moment and thank today's sponsor, Flash Marketing Solutions. Flash Marketing Solutions provides full service website and marketing solutions, They focus on your website so you can focus on your core business. I'll be honest with you, friends. When we first started The Gutsy Truth, the idea of building a website sounded super fun, but quickly became a daunting task. But thanks to Flash Marketing Solutions, they got our website built, freeing up hours of our time to focus on the podcast. If you are ready to be gutsy and need a website for your business or blog or whatever you're hoping to do, we recommend Flash Marketing Solutions. Visit flashmarketingsolutions.com slash gutsy for more information. That's flashmarketingsolutions.com slash gutsy. And right now, all new website clients get the first year of hosting for free. Thank you so much, Flash Marketing Solutions. If you are enjoying the podcast and want to support our mission to empower and inspire people everywhere, we would love for you to consider becoming a Patreon member. By supporting us on Patreon, you are helping us to continue to create valuable content and build a supportive community for listeners like you who are choosing to live a gutsy life. Visit thegutsytruth.com slash support to learn more. Um, so you've, you've done this whole thing, <laughs> like on so <laughs> many facets. So when, um, so you flipped houses first, when was the first mm-hmm. big leap into actually building your first residential slash commercial space? And what did that look like? Yeah. So we kind of grew into it. So we were flipping houses and then we ended up with the house we had to demo. So we had to build a house from scratch and we hired a contractor to do that. And then about two or three houses in, we called the contractor and he's like, I'm booked. I can't do it. And he's like, but if y'all will do it, I'll give you my subs and we'll help you. And so that, so we did it ourselves and we're like, this ain't hard. We can do this. So we started building houses and then we bought the commercial building downtown on main street. And even though it wasn't new construction, it was literally exterior walls, dirt floors and a cistern. So it was about as close to new construction as you could get. Mm -hmm. We use our contractor buddy for that one. And he was actually a partner on the deal and kind of watched the process. And then we wanted to try and renovate some more old buildings. And we knew that in order for the downtown validation to work, we had to have more people living here. So we were like, how can we blend both together? Building one house at a time only lets one person move in. But if we could find a way to do some lofts, well, unfortunately in our downtown, we just don't have a a plethora of beautiful old historic buildings. We don't have any big warehouses and the few that we have, we just cannot get the people to either fix them up or to sell them. So we were like, we're just going to have to make this happen on our own. So we started looking at designs and how could we build it so that we're not mimicking old, 
but it still feels like it fits into an old downtown. And then we came up with a name for our first project. And once we have a name, like you just can't stop us. Like the worst <laughs> thing is to have a name. That's <laughs> so so we um, got a couple of pieces of land that we were able to put together and we hired an architect and we just started designing and we got it big enough that the numbers would work because the smaller the development, the more expensive it is to develop. So, you know, it's way cheaper to build a 500 unit apartment complex than it is to build a 20 loft mixed use building. Mm. And so we had to kind of find the right size and the right risk level mm. and the right architect that could kind of do what we wanted to. And that's how we came up with our first project, which was the Decaro that we built in 2019 mm. and COVID hit right in the middle of construction. Mm. And so that was, and that was the one that we decided to GC ourselves. So we had done several like townhome developments before that, but that was our first like big mixed use commercial project. And we were in way over our heads. So I don't want people to think that like we have something figured out and we take an incremental step. Pretty much everything we do, we're in way over our heads, but we just figure if other people can figure it out, we'll figure it out. And if not, we just won't do it again. (laughs) (laughs) I just love your general mindset of like, like you're just so open about like, you know, we're just going to figure this out. And if it doesn't work, well, okay, it doesn't work. Like noted. And now I know what not to do. You know, and I like, ha- have you kind of always been that way? Like, is that something you've kind of had to teach yourself over the years? Because like, that's hard to do. Like, and I think a lot of people hold themselves back in a lot of aspects of life because they're so afraid of failure. And I feel like that's how society teaches us somewhat too. It's like, mm-hmm. don't fail, don't fail. But yet you've learned so much more from failing and then growing and then knowing now what not to do. Right. <laughs> totally. So just like anyone else, fear is like my biggest stumbling block. And I've kind of separated it. So there's two sides of fear. There's the emotional side and then there's the practical side. And I'm really good at the practical side. So if you look at like real estate, I'm good at boiling all emotions out of things, which is not always healthy. But (laughs) if you look like at real estate and you look at the practical side of failure, the practical side is, let's say, for instance, we're fixed. We broke ground on a new apartment complex. Let's say labor escalates even higher than it is. Inflation goes out of control. The banks say ain't lending money. They call our loan and we have a half finished building. You know, that's a $2 million project. It's not like I'm going to be like, oh, hang on. Let me go dig it up out of the backyard. Like I don't have $2 million to come up with. If the So worst case scenario, project fails. The bank takes it back. We go into bankruptcy. Like that is the worst case scenario. And I feel like what has helped me get further along is being willing to say that out loud. And for a long time, I wasn't willing to say that out loud. Mm. I was so afraid of it. And I was not afraid of the practical side of it because the reality is, okay, so what happens? Let's say that happens. We go into bankruptcy. We lose everything but our home because they can't take your home at least and a car and we lose everything. Then what? Mm. Well, I used to have a job. I'd go back and figure out how to get a job if I had to. But the reality is I know so much more right now than I did when I started this seven years ago, that I know I could get where I am today way faster. I would go about it differently. I have way more connections, a bigger network. And so when I think of fear on that side, saying it out loud and then just saying, okay, let's say it does happen. How would I be better off or worse off? 
you know, obviously I'm worse off, but I could get back where I am way faster than I did the first time. The first time I did it, I didn't know anything. Yeah. So practically I'm able to overcome that fear. Mm -hmm. The emotional side is the hard side, even for me. And I have to keep them very separated because if I go into bankruptcy, there will be lots of people who said, told you so, you know, like you should have kept the job. That was way too risky. I'm in a small town. We all know each other. Even if people don't view me as a failure, I will believe people are viewing me as a failure. It will be way harder to get a bank loan to earn the trust of people. People aren't going to try and figure out really what happened. They're going to slap labels on you. You hear it all the time in political campaigns. Oh, that person's been through. They can't even take care of their business. They've been through bankruptcy. But the reality is bankruptcy is a tool that the government created to encourage entrepreneurs to take risks that they otherwise wouldn't. So it's a mechanism that says, hey, you take a lot of risk because you create jobs. And if things go wrong, we've created this system to get you out of that. Mm-hmm. But American consumers use it as I'm going to go into a whole lot of debt buying stuff that I shouldn't be. And then I can't pay my credit card. And then they use that same mechanism. And it's a very different connotation. But people don't discern between those two. Right. So the emotional side of fear would be hard. Maybe I'd leave town. Maybe I'd go to a different town. But I do, like, I can get myself in a frenzy when I think about what are people going to think about me? Is this going to be hard on my family? Yes, probably. Am I going to be embarrassed? Yes. But is, is that worth it? Or would I be better off staying in the job that I had that I was miserable at or the job that I had that no longer existed, mm-hmm. right? Because I sold the company. Like, I am just willing to, when I look at all sides, I'm just willing. As a matter of fact, I'm committed to take in the risk and because everything I want is on the other side of failure. Mm-hmm. And as soon as I get there, whether I failed to get there or I successfully got there, once I get there, I have complete confidence. I'll be able to see with the sense of clarity and know what to do next. Mm-hmm. I don't need to know on this side. Yeah. I just need to know I got to bust through it and then I'll be able to see what I need to do on the other side. Yeah. Gosh, that's so powerful. I think just speaking that out loud, like you said, I think that's like the first step of just like facing it and talking through like all these weird scenarios that you're built, putting in your head that might not actually come true. You know, the mind does we- weird things. And so yes. I think just talking it out loud and thinking practically about things. And then I love how you broke that up practical and emotional side of fear, um, because we all feel it. Mm-hmm. And it, it's, it can be an everyday thing. Um, but if we talk it out loud and kind of break it down into bullet point, you know, bite-sized chunks, it's definitely easier to, to push through and, and take that risk. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. I mean, I think about y'all stories. So, you know, like Abigail, I relate to your story of like, I've had a relatively easy life. Mm-hmm. And so I haven't had anything super traumatic happen. Doesn't mean I won't. Mm-hmm. I've had my own struggles, but it always feels like, oh, that's not even really a struggle. So I related to that part of your story. Yeah. And then Caitlin, your story is like not, you don't know if anyone can relate to it, but you feel like it's, you know, like some sort of deficiency. And so saying it out loud mm-hmm. is super scary. Yeah. But then once you say it, and then you say it two or three times. And the people just come up to you and talk to you about it and relate to it and mm-hmm. want to learn more about it. Mm-hmm. Like the fear is gone. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. But oh, the yeah. fear was so real in the beginning. Uh-huh. And you know, I'm trying to teach my own kids this now. Like 
all you have to do, like you don't have to conquer. You just have to move forward. When you say, I'm scared I'm going to fail, just take what's the next smallest thing I can do to get a little bit closer. Don't worry about taking the big step, just the small step. Mm -hmm. And then one day it's like the fog is just lifted and like the fear of that is gone. Mm -hmm. Now, unfortunately, (laughs) it doesn't stop wherever you're at and whatever you're going to try and challenge yourself to do next, there's going to be another level or a different kind of fear. So it's just a matter of really learning how to feel it, recognize it and challenge yourself to just keep moving through it because it never goes away. Yeah. Oh, that's so good. You know, I'm, um, I don't know if you've heard of the book Atomic Habits by James Clear. Yeah. Yeah, So I just started reading it. I'm not very far into it, but like everything you're saying is so much reminding me of that. Cause he's just like, you have to change your habit and it starts with one small change and you have to like come up with that. You know, he kind of talks about like the negative or the positive impact of that habit that you're changing. And so you've got to like yeah. get yourself in the mindset of like, okay, well today it's like, you know, say you want to become like a morning workout person. Well, to change that habit of sleeping in late, like, okay, start with wake up 10 minutes earlier, then do that for a week. Now it'll go 20 minutes earlier. You know, so you can't go from, oh, I wake up every day at nine to now I'm going to wake up at five and go do all this stuff because right. yeah, that's fail. <laughs> no one exactly. can make that huge jump. And so I just love that reminder of like, take don't let fear so much consume you that you can't even take that one micro step forward because Mm -hmm. all it takes is that one micro step. And I, like you just said, like with Caitlin's story, like that, her first micro step, I think was telling me like a year and a half ago. And then like the day you told the rest of our office and like we told them because we were starting the gutsy truth and Mm -hmm. you were just like, I can't do this. I can't do this. And I gave her a gentle nudge, but but you just have to, because now you're like, you're like, I say it all the time now. Yeah. You talk about it to everybody. And I do too. You know, I talk about like my mental health journey at first. I was like, I don't know. Cause not everyone, you know, or what if, you know, people have a thought of what I am and who I am. And I was like, well, I just went through this (laughs) mental health thing. (laughs) And they're like, wait, what? And then I can't stop talking about it. Cause like everyone needs to know. So it's just, yeah. I think that's just such a great life reminder. It's just take that micro step and it will help you get through the fog. Um, and I just think that's just a brilliant way of putting it. So thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's, I love it. So you've shared so many amazing things with us. I would love for you to talk to our listeners about what, you know, what's the advice that you would give someone today if they're trying to start their own, you know, business or they're just stuck doing something they're unhappy with, like, what is that advice you'd share with them? That's a good question. It's a really big one because everyone is so different, right? The person who's scared to death to take action probably needs different advice than the person that you're like, whoa, hold on there. Have you even thought about this yet? (laughs) But what I always do when I approach a decision or fear, like, it sounds like, oh, I just go out there and see what happens. But I always have analysis of the worst case scenario and I always have fallback plans. So again, like we said, it's just saying if in one year from now I want to do this, then what do I need to do over the next quarter? What do I need to do over the next month? What do I need to do this week? And what do I need to do today? to get to that goal in a year. Because if you only look at the goal in the year, you'll never actually get there. But if you can say, this is where I'm going and get everything to align. And then today it's usually like a five minute task. It's usually, you know, like I need to make a phone call and call this person. I need to reach out to that person who's already doing this and ask if they're willing to help. Whatever that, you know what that next step is. 
So just take that one little step and then tomorrow, and that's it. That's all you have to do for the day. And tomorrow, when you wake up, you've got your year goal, you've got all the way down to your weekly goal. And then today, what is the one thing that I have to do? And I think this is actually from Atomic Habits. I love to try and connect it to something else that I'm already doing. Mm -hmm. So like for me, I go to the coffee shop every morning. Like that's where I do all my quiet work, all my thinking. And so whenever I, the very first thing I do when I get there is whatever my one task is for my bigger goal. I probably got contractors calling me. There's probably a water leak somewhere. There's probably somebody who hasn't been paid because I forgot to pay them. There is probably stuff going on all over the place. I do not address any of that until I do my one little thing. And then once I do my one little thing, my mind can focus on all the other things. But if you're not careful, if you let yourself do all the other things, you'll actually train yourself to create those things to prevent you from having to do that one little step that you're scared of. Yeah. So I guess that's it is figure out your goal. People usually overestimate what they can do in a year and underestimate what they can do in three years. But if you're able to just break it down into what do I have to do today and then just track that you do it every single day, like you can't help but to be successful. I have a good friend of mine. I love this. He always says you'll never wake up and be surprised you were successful. Success isn't a surprise. Like you don't look down and go, oh, my God, I got abs. <laughs> you're never going to be surprised with abs, right? Yeah. It's going to be the result of a lot of small decisions that you made consistently over time about your diet, your workout habit, and your lifestyle. Yeah. It's never going to surprise you. So if you want to be successful and you're waiting to be surprised by it, I got to tell you, it ain't ever going to happen. <laughs> but if you say, what do I have to do? And if I do all these things, there's no way I won't be successful then just do those little things. And one day you're going to wake up and it's not even going to be a surprise. You're going to be like, of course I'm successful. I did everything that was required. It's like, if I eat great, I work out every day, I have a trainer, I do everything I'm supposed to. When I have abs, I'm rewarded by it, but I'm not surprised by it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's so it. good. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I'm just listening into some other podcasts right now, just like taking <laughs> out all this like great life advice. Right. <laughs> Um, well, I listen to a lot of podcasts and I read a lot of books and I listen to a lot of other smart people. So nothing that I say is original. No, it's so good. It's okay. It's okay. Um, it just needs to be told maybe in a different way for it to resonate with somebody. Exactly. So yeah. Yeah. I love it. Oh, that's so good. Um, okay. So last kind of wrapping up the last two questions here. So tell us something that you've done and you've told us a lot already. So might, we might either recap or you might give us something new, but tell us something gutsy that you've done and how did it make you feel? Okay. I'm going to tell you something gutsy that I've done mm -hmm. that I don't talk about very often. And it's more on the emotional side of things where I am less comfortable. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> there you go. So probably the gutsiest thing I've done is I followed God's will in adopting our daughter. Mm-hmm. So after we had Sam, we wanted more kids. You know, remember, I didn't even know if I wanted one. Then yeah. I really liked the little kid. <laughs> and then we could never have more. So for years, we tried fertility treatments, lots of procedures, and there was no diagnosis or indication about why we weren't getting pregnant. We just weren't. We didn't know. Mm -hmm. And so we considered adoption and we considered foster care. And we prayed about it and we really got comfortable with, we had been given a very healthy boy and we had a really good life and we were at peace with being a family of three. Mm -hmm. 
Fast forward several years, and I am watching the 10 o'clock news Mm -hmm. for the weather forecast because I'm going on an out-of-town trip, and I need to know what to pack. And they have an episode on the news called Wednesday's Child. And they featured this little feisty, optimistic, 11-year-old firecracker (laughs) that had a love for horses And she was in the foster care system, and she wanted a forever family. And no matter how hard I tried, I could not get that little girl out of my head. And trust me, I tried Mm -hmm. because we had already been through this. We had already decided this. And at this time, my son is eight. So we're way past the, you know, how big is our family going to be face. And a few days pass. I find it online. I show it to my husband and my son, and it pulls at their heartstrings, too. So we're like, oh, but we've already decided we don't really want to foster, but let's just call. Let's just call and see if she's been placed. And this was how naive we were. So we call and one, she didn't even live in this town. Two, we've never had one foster care training, much less been foster parents. Mm -hmm. So they could not tell us anything about her, but they were like, why don't you go ahead and get certified as a foster family and we'll find someone that's a good fit. And we're like, no, 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 no. Like this is our person, mm-hmm. her or no one. And so we prayed about it. We um, consulted very few, but close people about it. And there was a lot of apprehension. There were many unknowns we didn't know. The foster system to get trained up and certified can be a year long. And that's if you're really on it. Time was not on our side. But we decided we would just kind of take the next step forward. And really, our biggest fear was we didn't want to view this as a Disney story Mm -hmm. where we were the heroes. Because we knew, like, she deserved better than that. And if you're not careful, you get, like, caught up in this feel-good story where you're the hero and your purpose is all wrong. Mm -hmm. So we just started taking really small steps and just moving forward. And then the next thing you know, um, it's been nine years later. Lots of ups and downs as we were going through trying to get her adopted. Um, but it was so clear that God's hand was in the whole thing. We couldn't have orchestrated it. Everything went against us. And so we knew like we were doing the right thing. And now it's been nine years later. She is in college and we cannot imagine our life or our family any differently. We know that she was meant for us and we were meant for her. And it hasn't been easy, but it's been right. And so that was probably the that was probably the gutsiest thing we've ever done. Mm. Oh my gosh, I love it! I love it, and I got to watch that whole that whole piece, um, knowing you. And it was just—I think your first family outing was my wedding, right? Oh my gosh, it was. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> we talk about how that was. We learned so much about how people. You know, that may have really, Caitlin, been when I started analyzing myself more and people as just, we are just a result of our environment. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, like, for example, it's time to go and eat. We look around. We always eat as a family. We go, you know, everyone, where are you? Okay, we're going to go through it. We're like, Jules is the first one in line. (laughs) Like, she's up there ready to eat. We're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like, we eat as a family. Come back here. And then she goes up to your mom in classic Jules' style and said, hey, there's not a lot here for kids to do. What yeah. do you have for us to do? Oh, <laughs> and my your gosh. mom was <laughs> so amazing. She was like, got her some like glow sticks or something. Uh-huh. And then told me that she said that. Of course, I was horrified. But it was <laughs> it was just an example of we are totally just reacting out of 
like the habit that we've been raised in. And it's so easy to see in other people, but it's so hard to see how it's limiting us in our own life because we just take it for granted. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, I loved it. Oh yeah. It was so much fun. <laughs> That's I, a beautiful story. I love when those mem- those Facebook memories pop up and it's like <laughs> of y'all at my wedding. I'm like, ah, oh, it's their first family outing. <laughs> it was awesome. our first family portrait yeah. was there at your yeah. wedding. Yeah. I, I forgot know. that, but that's right. Oh, so good. I love all of that. Well, that is so gutsy and that's so amazing. And I know there is a million ways, you know, that people foster and adopt and, and that comes in so many different forms. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's just such a beautiful story of how that, um, you know, like aligned for your family. And I, yeah, I mean, she's definitely part of the family. Like you would not ever know that she was, you know, adopted at 11 because it's like, you guys are just the four the four that click together so well. And it's just like, yeah, like they've been a family their whole life and it's so awesome. So I love that story. So thank you for sharing it. Thank you. It's definitely orchestrated above our level. Oh <laughs> yes, for sure. For <laughs> sure. Um, okay. So final question, this is a good one and I can't wait to hear what you're going to say. Um, so what is something that you are doing that fills your bucket of life and how, and how does that make you feel on like a daily basis? Oh, that's such a good question. I think it's leading into my tribe. You know, like we talked about just being exposed to people who are doing what I do at a really high level or not doing what I do, but perform at a really high level Mm -hmm. and just leaning into that. Like I was gone the entire month of September and two weeks of that was like just total vacation. But the other ends, two weeks of that were totally just opportunities to be in front of really smart people and just people who are like that I just get and connect with. And so historically, I wouldn't spend the money. I wouldn't take the trip. I wouldn't be gone that long. But I am just leaning into just being in that path of opportunity and just letting it take me where it's supposed to rather than trying to pull my way through and tell it where I want to go. Mm. Uh, there's going to be a lot of good quotes out of this podcast. I know, here, right? I'm just saying. <laughs> <laughs> So good. Oh, this has been like, this has been much needed. I have so loved this talk and I've learned so much more about you. I didn't know. So I think that just goes to show, even though if you know someone for however many years it's been, I don't do math. So over, especially public math. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> A lot of years, 12 ish, give or take. Um, yeah, it just goes to show you just never know someone's journey and, and how you can resonate with. And so, yeah, this has been, it's so incredible. So Katie, thank you. Like from the bottom of our hearts. Thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us today. You're welcome. I've been so excited to do it. And I just hope that your listeners get something out of it. And if they want to reach out to me or talk to me or ask me questions, I am probably going to beat you up before I'm going to hug you, but I am here to help. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So on that note, where can people, we'll link all this in our show notes, but where can people find out more about you and, or just follow along on your, your, renovation and um, redevelopment journeys. (laughs) Yeah. So I've really been trying to focus and spend my time on Instagram and our handle there is at renovation wranglers, but we're also on Facebook at at renovation wranglers. I just am not as good at posting there as frequently. So follow us along there, DM me Mm -hmm. and uh, we'll connect. Yeah. Perfect. That's awesome. Well, Katie, thank you so much. And um, yeah, we just can't wait to share this with the world. And it's been a joy to have you today. Thank you. I've had so much fun. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of The Gutsy Truth. We are so thankful to have you here with us, and we hope today's episode was helpful and inspiring. 
Until next time, we encourage you to learn more at thegutsytruth.com. And we'd really appreciate it if you left a review on today's episode on your podcast streaming platform of choice. If you are enjoying the podcast and want to support our mission to empower and inspire people everywhere, we would love for you to consider becoming a Patreon member. By supporting us on Patreon, you are helping us to continue to create valuable content and build a supportive community for listeners like you who are choosing to live a gutsy life. Visit thegutsytruth.com support to learn more. And until next time, that's the gutsy truth. <laughs>